All right. Genesis 42. Why don't we pray? We'll get into it. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for our fellowship with one another, for warm coffee and a warm building in which to gather. Thank you for seeing us safely through the last few days. We pray that you'd protect us in the face of the weather that's coming this week. We pray that you'd be with us this morning as we read your word together and discuss it and reflect on it and ask questions. And we pray that you would give us a a deeper understanding of your word and a greater love for it. We pray that we would be a people of the book and that through your word, we would come to know you more. We ask these things in Jesus name. All right. Genesis 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said, they said from the land of Canaan to buy food. Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. They said, we, your servants, are 12 brothers the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you. Or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this, and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households, and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy, but you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept and he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. 
Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them. and They turned trembling to one another, saying, what is this that God has done to us? When they came to Jacob, their father in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, the man, the Lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, we are honest men. We have never been spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no more. And the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land said to us, by this, I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. And Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, kill my two sons. If I do not bring him back to you, put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. But he said, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead. And he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. All right. What stands out to you? How long had it been since Joseph had seen his brother? It's long enough for him to go through his experience working for Potiphar and then to be in prison and then to come out of prison and have served Pharaoh for some time. It's the famine has begun. We don't know how far into the famine we are. And that, the seven years of plenty precede that. I reckon it's been at least a decade and probably more, long enough that they don't recognize him. Yeah, because when he was in prison, after two years, remember from the time of the interpretation of the two servants, the cupbearer and the baker, the dream. So we know it's got to be most probably 15 years or more, yeah. He was 17 when we met him in chapter 37. So it being at least a decade and a half, he's, he's well into his 30s at least. He was, they say he's 30 when he stood before Pharaoh. Go back to uh, 46 of the previous chapter. Yes, sir. Yeah, and we're, we're seven years at least into those years of plenty and years of famine. So he may be, a, he's probably approaching 40. I haven't seen him since he was 17. Good. What else? It's, it's interesting to see the espionage is suspected. Like, because I think of the times kind of as more quaint. Yeah, it's an age of statecraft and international politics and nations spying on one another and looking for weaknesses. And it's interesting their protest, right? If anybody else had accused them of being spies and they said, no, no, we're honest men. I mean, that would be interesting enough, but it's in front of Joseph, <laughs> of all people, that they're saying, no, no, we're not spies. We're honest men, all of us, 12 of us, except the one who is no more, right? And consider that scene, right? They haven't seen him since he's 17. They probably still had temples and 
all of that. And now he's ruling Egypt. He's probably wearing Egyptian dress. He's interacting with them through an interpreter so that they don't know that he can actually understand them just fine. They have no idea. And yet from the very moment the scene begins, they're fulfilling the dream that he told them about as they come and bow down before him. How would this go if this was a summer blockbuster? If we made this into a a movie and we went and watched it in the theaters or, or waited for it to come out on Netflix, this would be the moment of vengeance, right? Where his brothers would come in and they would bow down and he would reveal himself and then he'd slaughter the lot of them, right? No one would make it out alive. And you wonder, right? We don't know yet what Joseph's planning. Joseph may not know what he's planning. This is, he's probably making this up as he goes along. But, but does he intend evil toward them? And how do we know? What details in the text point us one direction or another? He returned their money. He returns their money. What's their response to that? It's a setup. Yeah, it's a setup, right? We've been accused of being spies, and now we've got all this food without paying for it. And I'm sure the accountant was keeping good track of that, right? So we're marked men, right? Not only can we not go back, we may be being pursued. Because they said they were honest men, and if they stole the money or didn't pay for the grain, then that would nullify that idea. Yep. I used to work at Home Depot when I was in college, and Saturdays were really, really busy especially in the summer. And I worked in the parking lot and in building materials. So we were loading concrete and driving forklifts. And we were always supposed to check the receipt. Well, there was this one Saturday. I was in a different part of the building. We got chewed out by the manager because somebody pulled up with his big old trailer and wanted, you know, they said they'd just gotten 12, 15 fence panels and somebody loaded it up without ever checking a receipt, and then they drove off. So, and that's what the brothers, right? It's a lot more than 15 fence panels. They've got grain, right? 12 huge sacks of grain that they're carrying back. We really don't know if it's just 12. It, it may be more than that. That's true. Yeah, it says each man's sack, but that may just be the one that they opened and it's got their money in it. Yeah, it may be much more grain than that. Because it would appear as the grain is, would need to last them for a period of time because uh, it, it takes that journey is more probably of extended time. How does this go for Simeon? You know, he gave them provisions for their travel, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, Simeon presumably gets fed. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll learn more about how this has been for Simeon while he's been down in Egypt in the next chapter. But Joseph's instructions to them, right, were, were go back, get your youngest brother, and come back. Right? And this, you know, it's probably at least a week's journey. But they should be able to do that over the course of a month, right, at most. Travel back. It may take them longer because of their provisions. And then get their brother and then set off for the journey, and then return. But they don't seem to have any intention of doing that, do they? 
And we find out in the next chapter, they wait until the grain has run out. And they, they probably got more than six months worth of food. So it's not until their food runs out that they make their way back down to Egypt. How does that add up with their insistence that they're honest men? Good. So all that time, then they left their brother in, in, in prison. Is basically what happened. Yeah. And as far as they know, he's in the worst possible conditions. Yeah. We find out that that's not the case. Yeah. But, but they left him just like they left Joseph. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's what thought it came to me, that they, they acted the same way. So twice now, they've abandoned a brother. I mean, they didn't sell Simeon except they kind of did. They essentially sold him for grain and for their own lives. This time, though, um, Jacob's kind of complicit in it because he isn't going to send them back unless he absolutely has to. He's... Yeah. Of course, Jacob's afraid of losing more sons. I mean, look how this has gone. He lost one. He lost another. Certainly not going to send Benjamin, but even if they go back without Benjamin, right, they might not come back at all. But even in the way he talks, he talks about having lost Joseph and how he can't risk losing Benjamin, but he isn't referencing in that little monologue anything about losing Simeon. Yeah, poor Simeon. Simeon gets the short end of the stick. He gets it here. Later, with the distribution of the tribes, Simeon just gets completely swallowed up by Judah. We don't really hear much about Simeon individually after that. We go into the next chapter, chapter 43. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, just to add this, uh, the, um, you know, uh, being accused of being a spy was a descendant's of death. And, and that's why I think Joseph said in verse 20, uh, uh, when he told him to bring back Benjamin, said, and you shall not die. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Because uh, spying was a serious a penalty for that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Joseph did, I mean, he remembered that they're supposed to kneel in front of him, and he could have right then assumed the fact that they were like begging for, no, we're not spies, that, oh, this is it, this is the dream fulfilled. But instead, because it's not like God told him how the dream was going to get fulfilled, just that they were going to kneel before him. So instead, he just sort of, like, let me drag this out and see where it's going to go. I mean, because he could have just right then said, no, get up, guys, it's me, uh-huh. you know, look, I'm okay. Well, he had two dreams. In the first dream, he's out in the field. He's been out in the field with his brothers. They're all binding sheaves of grain, and their sheaves all bow down to his. And that takes place here. Then he had a second dream where the sun and the moon and 11 stars all bow down to him. So his father and mother, as well as his brothers. And that hasn't come to pass yet. Earlier you were saying like, maybe he doesn't have this all planned out, but probably Joseph's brothers are not the first non-Egyptians to come and beg for food. He probably has been aware that someday they're going to show up. I, mean, I would have kind of played this out in my mind, like, oh, this is what I'm going to say, and this is how, you know, I'm going to make them, you know, I'm going to you know, see, try to make them not recognize me, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to, like, it'd be really hard to not plan that out. Yeah, but, but also, after, it says after three days, I think that during that period of time, he most probably, the Lord led him to seriously think about what he was doing. Yep. That's the one thing that's withheld from us, right, is 
is in what way is Joseph pursuing the Lord's will through this interaction? And, and Moses is, is intentional about withholding that from us. Because, I mean, none of us are reading this for the first time. But imagine we are. We're held in suspense. As Joseph seems to be doing two things at once. He's, he seems to be toying with his brothers on the one hand but providing for his family and caring for them on the other. So which of those is going to, is going to win out? Is this going to be a story of revenge or a story of reconciliation? Will this be Joseph's chance to to get one over on his brothers or will it be his opportunity to, to care for the family? Totally interesting on that second dream. That's because he has no idea how it's good. Like they could just never come back. So he's totally trusting on that memory of that second dream that, you know, some kind of way they are, God's going to make it that they are going to come back because they have to bow before me. You know, so yeah. that's kind of, he's taking a gamble because he doesn't know the end game either. Well, and, and think about the way Joseph has set the scene. He's accused them of being spies. First, he says he's going to imprison all of them and send one of them back to get this other brother. Now he's saying, we're going to hold one of your brothers and send all of you back to get this younger brother. Well, if they're really spies, they're not coming back, right? They're going to leave the guy in prison and they'll never be seen again. They've been accused of being spies. So if they're rascals, they're going to leave their brother and they're never going to come back, right? And so it's also a a test of his brother's character. Are they the same brothers that sold me into slavery or has their character changed? So three, three possible outcomes of that, right? Are they spies? And so we'll never see him again. Are they rascals? And so we'll never see him again. Or has their character changed? Has the Lord worked in their hearts, even as he has worked in Joseph so that they are different than they were at their last meeting? I felt guilty about it because they were they, they said all oh, this is happening to us because of, of what we did and if I was Joseph's like right hand man or second in command I'm sure it's spread out he, he, they don't know that they are his brothers so I'm sure that the other people alongside him are wondering you just accuse people of being spies and you set most of them away and kept going, like, what are you doing? And, um, you know, so it makes you wonder, Joseph, just, just trust me. I got this. I got, I got a plan. Um, yep. Because the rest of them are privy to what's going on. All right. Into chapter 43. We've read this before, so we know what's coming. But pretend you haven't. Now the famine was severe in the land. We already know that. So why does Moses feel like he needs to tell us again? Because that food that they came back with is going to run out. And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, the man solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. But the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? 
They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? Right. And through what Judah says, we learn some of the details of the conversation in the previous chapter that Moses hadn't bothered to tell us before. We know that Joseph took a much more active role in questioning them and inquiring of them. But picking back up in verse 8, Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die. Both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Which gives you an idea of how long Simeon's been sitting there and who knows what condition in Egypt. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your brother, your other brother, and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with him, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, It is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us. and We have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. He replied, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, they had washed their feet. And when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, your servant, our father is well. He is still alive. And they bowed with their heads and pros- sorry, and they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother, Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. And Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brother and he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. 
and they served him by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. They drank and were merry with him. What do you notice? What's their biggest fear in this chapter? It comes up in relation to being brought to Joseph's house. They're afraid they're going to be made to servants. They're afraid that they're going to be sold into slavery to the Egyptians. They're afraid that what they did to Joseph will be done to them. Joseph doesn't do that, but I reckon there's some, some justice, some recompense, and they're fearing that outcome. What else do you notice? Joseph still didn't let on that he recognized his brothers and things when he was talking to them just before they were in the house. You know, he, he uh, continued to say, is this a, like Benjamin, is this the brother you talked about, you know, uh, and all that. And so he, he kind of kept all of that up, keeping them in suspense, so to speak. Yeah, that's another possibility we didn't consider, right? If they are rascals or spies, but Simeon matters to them, or they just need food that bad, they might just go find some young man who looks a little bit like him and compel him to come with them and say, behold, our brother. And so he has a lot of questions for Benjamin and for them again about the family. And you're right. He, he continues to withhold from them what we know, the most salient piece of information that he is their brother whom they think is dead. Joseph knew it was, it was Benjamin. He recognized himself. But he, he was still more or less testing these brothers, I think, you know. I don't know if it's any significance, but in chapter 42, they called the father Jacob. And in 43, they called him Israel. That's, that's something that happens in, in Genesis and moving forward. It's interesting, right? We get two records of Jacob's name being changed to Israel. But he continues to be referred to by both names. I would love to have been there as they switched how they were referring to their father and how Joseph may have leveraged that in his line of questioning. Hold on, you said your father was Jacob and now you're saying your father is Israel. Get your story straight. Is this really your brother? You're right. We get both of those names in use here. What's the significance of them being all seated in birth order and them being so in astonishment? Was it just like... How did Joseph get this right? I mean, you know, because they yeah. know who he was. Is that what it was? Was how did this man know our birth order? Yeah, there's no reason, as far as they know, that the man that they're interacting with should have any idea of their birth order and their birthright. I mean, he might be able to look at them and judge, okay, that one's a little older and that one's a little younger. But for him to, to set their places in order get it right. That's right. There's no way that they're believing that that's a coincidence, but that together with everything else, right? They're astonished, but that astonishment is, there's an element of fear there. Like maybe this fellow knows more about us than he's letting on, which right. The, the thing that they fear the most is that their sin will find them out. 
right, and that they will be made to pay for what they did to Joseph. It's interesting that at the close of the last chapter, Reuben says, you know, he's urging his father, and he says, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Like, let me take Benjamin, you know. And then and his father's like, no. And then Judah says, well, I'll be a pledge of safety, and you can, I'll bear the blame forever. And he doesn't, Reuben kind of made this audacious thing, like, kill my sons, kill your grandchildren if, you know, you lose another son. Whereas Judah says, I will take responsibility, and it's much more of a, kind of a realistic um, thing. And it's interesting that, like, Judah prevails, and later, you know, he's not, kind of moving ahead, it's, Reuben's not going to speak up, and it's going to be Judah. Yeah. What did Judah do last time he spoke up? Yeah, he's the one who said, hey, here comes a caravan. Let's see if we can sell him, right? Because Joseph's down in the pit. And he's like, you know, at least we can make some money off of this. And then his blood isn't on our hands, but we won't ever see him again. But remember, we had that chapter in between with Judah and Tamar. Now Judah's a different man. He's gone through this significant transformation in character. Now he's putting himself on the line for his brother's safety and is taking a, a role of leadership among his brothers. Right? That'll come up again as we reach the, the end of Genesis because Judah is given leadership over his brothers when Jacob blesses his sons. And that, that doesn't seem to make sense, right? Because Reuben's the firstborn, but Reuben disqualifies himself, Right? Simeon and Levi are next, but they're known for their unbridled anger. But Judah takes a leadership role among his brothers and puts himself on the line and intervenes here. Good. Comes to mind that, you know, that Jesus is from the line of Judah. Yeah. Why do they eat separately? What was the question? Why do they eat separately? But it's, it's said that the Egyptians did not eat with the Hebrews. It was abomination uh, or something. I don't remember the exact words. Yes. Yeah. And they mention it in verse 32. The Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. That raises a question for me, because Joseph is served, his brothers are served, the Egyptians are served. They're all separate. Is that because of Joseph's rank? Or is Joseph still a Hebrew to the Egyptians? And is that a clue that his brothers might be able to pick up on if they're paying attention? Or is it something that because of everything else that's happening to them, they just, they can't see? It seems like even if it's the case that they're not, the Egyptians aren't eating with Joseph because of, his, of him being a Hebrew, it seems perfectly reasonable for the brothers to assume it's because of his rank. And they're not Egyptian, and they aren't typically in an Egyptian official's household. And this is a particularly high Egyptian official. And I, I think regardless of the actual reason, they can easily and reasonably assume it's because of Joseph's position. What's the significance of the meal? What's, what's the significance of the meal? Is it important? That they're eating. He's providing for them. He is. He's providing for them. 
Well, I would think if you're invited to somebody's house to eat, that person doesn't look at you as an enemy or a spy or a thief. You know, you're you're now a friend, not a foe, I would assume. I mean, if I was them, my head would be reeling, like, what just happened? That God provided the silver, and I'm not charged with anything, and now this high official has invited me to his home. Like, is this a trick? I don't know. I mean, I love that. Is this a trick? Well, it it is a trick, right? Because he is purposely creating a scenario where he is showing favoritism to Benjamin. He can spark their jealousy, and he's about to test them and see if they will again act in jealousy about their younger brother being elevated above them. That is like five times the portion size. Isn't that a huge slap in the face to the older ones? Yep. Yep, because he's not just the youngest. He's the son of that other mother, right? He's the, he's the little brother of the jerk that we got rid of. And he's the one being favored in this scenario. But also, the meal implies fellowship and mutual obligations and a relationship, right? This is... Sharing a meal together is, there's vulnerability there. There's an an inviting into one's circle. There's a closeness involved in breaking bread. Right When they come to his house, their first assumption is it is not for a meal, right? This is not the kind of guy that they would have a meal with, both because they're foreigners, because they've been suspected of being spies for for all of these reasons. And that meal does become the occasion of a further testing. But part of the reason that works is because of the significance of the meal that implies a relationship, right? Meals are when you enter into covenant with someone, right? That's sealed with a meal. Uh, when someone comes to visit, there are obligations of hospitality, which you demonstrate by providing for them a meal, right? It establishes or confirms a relationship that's there. Good. All of this then. We've talked so much about God's providence and its operation. And I love the slow burn of reading the Joseph narrative and seeing the depth and complexity and intricacy of God's government of the world. And we've, we've drawn attention to it a few times, but, but see it again, that there are elements of Egyptian customs, how they see the world and how they interact with others that are things God uses shape this scene there's the natural events in the world with the plenty followed by the famine that God uses to bring the brothers down to Egypt where they wouldn't otherwise have gone it's the continuing famine that drives them to come back when they otherwise might simply have just given Simeon up And it's interesting that they have, right, in the gift that they bring with them, I don't know if you noticed, there are all of these edible things 
that they bring, right? Choice fruits and honey and pistachios and nuts and almonds, but not the staple, right? It's like having a pantry full of junk food and and no bread. They still feel the need to come down and the Lord uses that to drive them where they would otherwise be unwilling to go. And we know from reading the end of the story that in the midst of everything that the Lord is doing with them individually and in their family and from one generation to the next, he is also providing for and protecting and sustaining a family that will become a people that will become a nation and ensuring that all of that is brought to pass. It struck me in that gift, those edible things that Jacob or Israel specifically says, bring a little this, a little that. Like they don't have a lot. And this is presumably they're going to come back with a whole lot more than they're bringing. But um, the little that struck me. He's trying to give a, uh, he's trying to give a big gift, but they only have, they can only do this much. Because one, weren't they trying to fulfill the uh, the custom of, of bringing a gift when you went for something? You know, so I think. But although, as you pointed out, they may not had a lot, but they were giving of what they had. Yeah. And they're also probably trying to grease the wheels of international politics there. Yeah. All right. Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for how this portion of Genesis in particular shows us the depth of your care for your people and the extent of your power as you govern things great and things small for the good of those who love you, for the good of those on whom you have set your love. We thank you for the knowledge that as you cared for and provided for and protected your people then. So you do that for us now. We pray that you would open our eyes to see more and more of your providence and your hand at work in our lives and in our circumstances, that we might return to you thanks and praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.